Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for joining us for this very special episode, these special editions, you might call them, where we are focusing on topics relating to Synod 2022. And uh, that, technically, I believe, has just begun. As of yesterday, the um, officers of Synod have been elected, and uh, this is a Synod of great consequence as... Uh, many in the Christian Reformed Church know uh, there is a report before us called the uh, the Human Sexuality Report. I think it has an even longer name than that, but that's what it's being referred to in a shorthand, the HSR, Human Sexuality Report, um, which gives a theology of human sexuality, including, among many other things, um, a uh, an official position on homosexual activity. And so uh, this is a matter, of course, of much discussion throughout the culture and including in the Christian Reformed Church. And so it is uh, it's something that a lot of people care about and for good reason on both sides of the, um, of the issue. And uh, Pastor Zach here is a delegate to Synod, and he was participating in the beginnings of that, that Synod meeting yesterday by, by voting for um, Synod officers, and and so we, we've been doing a lot of thinking as a church and as pastors on this matter. I serve on the Council of Delegates of the CRC, um, which maybe for those who are unfamiliar, the Christian Reformed Church is set up um, in what are called classes. Uh, each classes is a regional gathering of churches, and there are, I believe, 49 classes in the Christian Reformed Church, um, each of them having between about 10 and 25 congregations. So our classes is called Classes Central California, and um, that includes churches from north of Sacramento all the way down the valley to Bakersfield and west to the Bay Area. And every Christian Reformed church in that triangle is a part of Classes Central California. And so I represent that classes at the Council of Delegates, which is essentially the Board of Trustees of the Christian Reformed Church. And so um, I've been a, a little bit of the a part of these conversations um, in the last year or so, although the Council of Delegates really receives reports more than makes big decisions about these things. The big decision is going to come at Synod, where Pastor Zach is a delegate for Classis Central California. So today we're going to be talking about the history of this issue in the Christian Reformed Church. And um, we were discussing it before we hit record there, and, and we both agree that this episode will be a lot more informative than evaluative. Um, we're, we're not going to give quite as much commentary on where we've been and where we think the Christian Reformed Church should go. Um, I'm sure that will come through in how we describe things, just to be totally open and honest. We do have opinions on this matter, um, but we do really want to lay the groundwork, you might say, or set the stage for that conversation that is going to be happening on the synodical level. So um, hopefully this can give people a taste, whether you're Christian Reformed or not, of where we've been over the past uh, 50-some years. Yeah, it's good to get a little bit of the backstory. That's yep. the, the hope here. The origin Just story. To, yeah, <laughs> to explain how we got here. We could do this for basically any major church council, looking back at church history, and this is what most church history books do. And by making that comparison, I'm not saying that the Christian Reformed Church is the whole church, <laughs> uh, or that the Council of Nicaea was was less important than what's happening today. Although there are similar parallels of you know how how ch- the church historically has discussed things, issues have cropped up over time, uh, and the church has had to resolve these issues. This even goes back to the New Testament itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we saw last week Acts 15, which is the story of the early church. Uh, deciding how Gentile inclusion would happen, would it happen by them becoming Jews and by being circumcised and by following Jewish ceremonial laws, 
or would it happen simply by faith? And of course, the answer was it would happen by faith. Uh, but they were told to uphold, uh, you could say, certain moral codes of the of the Christian faith, of the even the Jewish faith, mm-hmm. uh, which would include, for example, the Ten Commandments. And so, so long as they lived as God's people, they would be fine. They did not have to do the Jewish parts of the law, but they had to uh, uphold the morality uh, mm. parts of the law. And so these sorts of things have always happened. The church has had to discuss what's going on. How do we discern God's spirit and God's truth uh, in our times? And how can we formulate uh, doctrines that will be helpful for the church's health in the future. And so this is exactly what we've seen throughout church history, and this is what we see today. And so uh, with the Synod 2022, this this really is, especially to anybody who's listening to end on this, who's not from the CRC, mm. this is a pretty big fork in the road, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come in as somebody who's relatively new to the denomination, uh, but I, I can tell there's a lot of... Uh, anxiety about oh, this yeah. this meeting uh, and that's uh, anxiety is not uh, for bad reason it's it's for good reason and there this is going to be a pretty uh, yeah. milestone sort of event so it's it's something that I think we need to take seriously and I, I certainly am doing my best to take seriously and to approach with uh, as much study as much prayer as much discernment as I can. I want to listen well, but I also most importantly want to stand on scripture and not, not, not be pushed to or fro mm. uh, from what scripture teaches. And so, yeah, let's, let's dig in a little bit to the history. And I think it's good if we start by looking not just at so much at how our denomination has approached the questions of homosexuality or LGBTQ issues, mm-hmm. but it's good if we take a step back and think about our own denomination's history. Yeah. And so, Mark, you're the, you've the, been the one who grew up in the CRC. I'll have you give this sort of outline sketch of the Christian Reformed Church in North America's history. Well, on a dark and stormy night, a long time, no. Um, <laughs> uh, we're just going to give a snapshot here, and this is, um, I would say, insultingly simple. Um, yeah, it, it's, we, it's, we've done more on this yeah. in previous episodes <laughs> way, way back, but and, yeah. But we, we do, so obviously we are a Calvinistic uh, denomination springing from the Reformation itself, um, where the teachings of John Calvin were... Um, spread over time into what is now the Netherlands. Um, it was called the Low Countries, I believe, at the time. Um, and and so the Netherlands became a Calvinistic nation. I think, I believe, even the state church was Calvinistic in nature and in theology. And um, over time, uh, that that solidified, I would say, in Dutch culture that that it was going to be a a Calvinistic nation. And from there. Many people immigrated into uh, the United States and Canada, especially, uh, also to other places like Indonesia. Um, and um, with with them, they they brought their Calvinistic um, uh, theology and started churches, particularly in West Michigan and Northwest Iowa. And um, it was in 1857 when uh, there was a split. Uh, there was what it was called the Reformed Church in America, which had. Um, as one of its hubs, New York, formerly called New Amsterdam because of so many Dutch people there. And um, in West Michigan, um, a uh, there was a split off uh, from the Reformed Church in America into the Christian Reformed Church. And that was mirroring some of the changes that were even happening back in the Netherlands at the time. Uh, and so but part of the reason that we bring that up is recognizing that we have a schismatic history in the Christian Reformed Church, um, there are various breaks and and uh, fractures in the fellowship of um, Dutch Calvinist history. Uh, of course, uh, though that didn't just stop in 1857. There were other yeah. splits as well in the uh, early 20th century, particularly in the 1920s. There was a break off um, of the Protestant Reformed churches. Um, for uh, some pretty precise theological issues, something called the love of God controversy or the common grace controversy, uh, which was a big deal. And um, many people who became what is now Protestant Reformed disagreed with that 
that overall theology of of common grace, which which is pretty clearly taught by many Reformed theologians, but but they rejected. And then fast forward again, being very simplistic here. Fast forward post World War II, um, post um, uh, sexual revolution, yeah, sexual revolution, Vietnam it, War. Yeah, you have a lot happening culturally in the '60s, '70s, uh, the '80s with the Moral Majority and the the influence of conservatism there. And um, the next, I would say, big split, big event in the history of the Christian Reformed Church was the United Reformed Church breaking off in the 1990s um, because of various issues. But um, if one were to really narrow it down, it would have to do with women serving as um, ministers and elders, mm-hmm. um, office bearers in the church. So um, the Re- United Reformed break happens in the 1990s. And um, really along with that, the Christian Reformed Church is evaluating our identity. Who are we? Um, There was a recognition that was increasing in the 80s and 90s. We cannot just be the Dutch church in town. We cannot be an ethnic denomination. That's not good for the kingdom of God uh, to have a a church that for all intents and purposes and for all uh, the optics um, just looks like Dutch people are allowed, and if you're not Dutch, you're not much, and you're not going to belong. Mm-hmm. And so what will we be if we're not the Dutch church? Um, I think that various people had answers to that question. Uh, maybe you can go into some of those answers that people gave. What are we going to be when we burn the wooden shoes? Yeah, so I've, I, I could see we, we have a document we're looking at here as we go through this. I could see what you've put, and I think that I, I am in large agreement with you from what I can tell, just reading back on CRC history from the 80s and 90s and 2000s, even up to the present day, there's still yeah. this ongoing question of who are we if not the Dutch church. Um, it seems like there are various... Uh, groups. We might even call these factions. Um, I would say that one of the predominant group groups of, of these three uh, is the mainline group. Uh, this is the group that I would say, uh, and I don't say this contentiously or with any spite or anything, but uh, they want to do uh, what other mainline churches are doing. And so mainline churches are sort of the historic Protestant traditions in the United States Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, have been probably most affected by what we would call liberalism. And you can go back to our episode from a couple weeks ago on what that would be, what that would look like. Um, And so these are typically, I would say, this mainline group in the CRC often has a they, they kind of have control, you could say, of some of the denominational headquarters the and some of the institutions yeah. of our of our denomination. Uh, this isn't to say that they're the majority necessarily, but it is to say that in Grand Rapids, which is sort of what I call Vatican City of the CRC, <laughs> uh, that's where a lot of the more mainline people will be. Uh, and so the, they, I think, are in lockstep or want to be in lockstep in some ways with denominations such as the Episcopal Church, uh, the United Methodist Church, uh, the Presbyterian uh, USA, yeah, PCUSA, yeah. or the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the ELCA. The RCA being the biggest one. And the probably. RCA, yeah. our, our yeah. sister denomination, would, uh, would be also a mainline denomination. Um, and so typically these mainline denominations have been really affected by the World Council of Churches, uh, which is sort of an ecumenical movement of the 20th yeah. century. Uh, and so one of the interesting things I've noticed about mainline churches is that they tend to be more high church. Mm. Uh, so they're high church, they're, they're churchier feeling if you <laughs> walk into a uh, mainline church, but they, in their doctrine, would, would be much less historically connected to uh, Christians of the past. You could say the church Catholic. Um, so that is an interesting... Yeah, feature that I've noticed. And that's that's one group. Yeah, and well, and as we're describing these groups, I think it's important to note um, the extremes that exist in the Christian Reformed Church are not nearly what the extremes are in, say, the United Methodist Church or hmm. Presbyterian Church, PCUSA, or even the, um, the United Church of Christ. Yeah, UCC. In in some of these other denominations, you're going to find ministers um, like in the United Church of Christ uh, who 
who deny that God is a personal being, you know, right. and, and like, or like, deny that God has a preferred pronoun. And so, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so like you, yeah. you are not finding that in the, in the CRC, right. but, but what you do definitely see is in, in some of these churches, like I think of uh, some of the Grand Rapids churches that I'm aware of, uh, they would quote very favorably from mm-hmm. um, some some leaders in in some of those other denominations. Yeah, uh, like, and you would be more likely to hear a, Bra- a Barbara Brown Taylor reference than an R.C. Sproul reference, just to Correct. maybe put some like uh, yeah. some some uh, color or, or some some flesh <laughs> to the the argument a little bit. There, uh, you're going to hear. Uh, Marva Dawn from the ELCA yeah. referenced uh, far more than you're going to hear um, somebody like uh, Charles Spurgeon, for example. Yeah. Um, like, like you're just not. You, that's that's going to be the voices that they're listening to, and it yeah. doesn't mean that they're as as theologically liberal as a ELCA right. uh, evangelical Lutheran church. Here. But but uh, <laughs> it does mean that there are a lot of those sympathies. Like at the worship symposium, for example, you'd hear yeah, a lot yeah. of those kinds of references and that kind of worship. So um, that's the, the main line portion. Um, there's also uh, a group that really was uh, growing in particularly the 90s. This is my section very much of the Christian Reformed Church is the evangelical um, one might even call it church growth movement, seeker movement mm. in the CRC. I grew up in a church plant in the Chicago area. Um, definitely not like a traditional um, historic Christian Reformed Church, but we looked to Bill Hybels and uh, Rick Warren mm-hmm. and wanted to do church like that and um, certainly had a Reformed flavor at times to doing church in that way, but um, right. we were going to promise keepers. You know, yeah, we were yeah. listening to focus on the family. We were encouraged to do VBS, like before it was just something that every church did. Like before that it was, was ubiquitous, <laughs> right? That was sort of a, th- a thing. Yeah. We were we were doing canvassing, going door to door. We met met at a school and not mm. a traditional church, and so. Um, uh, yeah, modern worship music was just a given in those yeah. churches. Uh, and so there are definitely those evangelical churches. I would guess probably just about every classis has some um, that would fit this kind of description to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to reach out to the, the, the lost, to the, to, our, to the neighbors that we have who are not saved or who are not born again yet and um, try to welcome them in through all kinds of creative means, be very evangelistic in nature. Yeah. Um, and so, again, that's in response to um, the Dutch heritage of the, the Christian yeah, Reformed Church. Who are we to be now? Yeah, so in a lot of ways, that church was reacting against the history by, um, I would say at times wrongly, just jettison anything that looks historic. I think that's a feature of both of these groups, the main lines and the evangelicals. It's a desire to move away so much from the Dutch heritage. Yeah. And so it's sort of a tossing aside of what made them solid churches. So both of these groups were not really fond of the three forms of unity being taught, although for different reasons. Uh, Evangelicals weren't so much in theological disagreement with them. They just thought that they were old and stodgy and we could probably use more uh, modern terminology. You hear that a lot in the RCA now, like those documents influence our thinking, but they don't catechize their youth. Yeah, exactly. They're they're historical documents, and so we we recognize them as our historical heritage, so to speak. But in terms of their actual influence in our daily life as churches, it's very little. Yeah. Uh, and for the main lines, it would be mostly disagreement with these documents that would want that would make them not want to have much to do with them. Or if um, if they do, they would they would uh, what I've seen right. probably Maybe pick and bit. pick and choose a little bit of like you're you're very likely not going to hear from the pulpit of a a more mainline Christian Reformed Church. By nature, I hate God and my neighbor. Right. Like, which is what the catechism says we believe. Oh, that's a good um, point. I, to be fair to the more mainline group in our denomination, they, they do actually quote from yeah. the confessions a lot. Uh, yeah, I think the contention that we would have is that it very seems like they, it very much seems like they are, they're giving lip service to various nice elements or moralistic elements mm. of these documents, particularly the Heidelberg Catechism and its outworking of the Ten Commandments, um, which is beautiful. Yeah, uh, it's a really, really good way of explaining the Ten Commandments. 
but yeah, there's the, the sort of edgier, punchier parts of the catechism and the confession and uh, the canons of Dort. You don't see a whole lot of yeah, of especially that. the canons of Dort. Yeah. Uh, so um, then, what's the third group? So the third we would call the conf- the more confessional. Um, now again, this is this is on a spectrum. We're not saying that uh, the evangelical CRC, the mainline CRC, uh, are not confessional, but I, I do think at a church like the one that we serve in, um, Almond Valley here in Ripon, California, um, our elders tell me you need to teach the, the catechism, Mark. You know, like yeah. um, okay, it's good to. It's not like I get rebuked or, or reprimanded for this, but. Um, it really matters to mm-hmm. our elders and to the the parents of our children that that they're learning the catechism, yep. and that so I just preached all the way through the Belgic Confession. Um, I know that people would be excited if I brought out the Canons of Dort for a series. I, I have preached a, a five part sermon on the um, the, fi- the the five points of Calvinism before, and and had a lot of great feedback. I I think there's there's a general sense for wanting to be grounded in our um, reformed theological heritage. So if we are not going to be a Dutch church, um, we do need to remain and be a Calvinistic church, I think, um, and a confessionally Calvinistic yes. church. Yeah, um, so the desire is to... So each of these groups has different desires, what we want yeah. to be, right? And so the, the confessional side says, yeah, we don't want to just be Dutch. We want to be theologically reformed. We want to re- really want to recover our theological heritage. Right. And we can we can do away with our ethnic heritage. I mean, we don't want to completely wipe yep. it away. There, I'm not Dutch, but I very much appreciate the Dutch theological tradition. Uh, but I recognize that I can share in that tradition without being Dutch. I can benefit from that tradition without being Dutch. Um, but the, the the aim is not so much to hold on to our Dutchness; it's to hold on to our reformedness. And so, I think in these circles, you see a lot of uh, appreciation for other reformed churches especially presbyterians yeah. uh, who they aren't they aren't dutch but they hold to a similar theological tradition or a part of the same theological family yeah and, and so that i think gives the overview of all of this <laughs> very simplistic people may be wondering yeah. well, why is this important as we talk about the hsr mm-hmm. uh, and i think it that it just kind of gives you the different uh, flavors of the approaches to the HSR, but how does it explain yeah. how we got here? Maybe mm-hmm. that's something you might answer. Yeah, there there have been, I would say within the CRC, there's, there's um, the lines are probably broadening between these camps over the last uh, probably 15, 20 years. And hmm. so the way that we talk about something like sexuality, human sexuality, hmm. Is um, is going to be probably pretty different um, from depending on which camp you're coming from. I I don't want to use that fracturous language very much, but maybe we have to for shorthand. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, again, like to use the example of who, which voices are you listening to in mm-hmm. in the more mainline uh, Christian Reformed churches? They're going to be appreciatively reading James Brownson and Matthew Vines and and some of those things and and yeah. quoting them positively um, openly at this point um, yeah. and in the the confessional or evangelical circles um, you're probably I mean hopefully people are reading a lot of those those resources as well but you're you're more likely to hear from uh, Preston Sprinkle and mm. um, PCA, uh, Presbyterian Church in America resources uh, or other things that have been written in in our denomination's history, like going all the way back to uh, in Ursinus and his commentary of the yeah. uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. Like, and, and so the, listening for who is being quoted favorably, I think, is really why that affects this conversation a lot. So hmm. uh, maybe we can just give a really quick snapshot again of. Um, the history of the Christian Reformed Church on this particular issue of same-sex orientation. Uh, I, I think maybe now it's the people prefer that it's called same-sex attraction um, or same-sex sexual activity. Um, Zach, you yeah. want to maybe yeah, take a look so at that? Yeah, so 
we listened, uh, well, I should say Mark shared with me a few weeks ago a recording from Mary Holst, who is the uh, pastor, the, the campus pastor at Calvin University, yep. the den- Denominations uh, University in Grand Rapids, and she gave a presentation uh, fairly, I would say, extensive. It was about an hour long or so at Alger Park Church, which is a CRC in the Grand Rapids area. Um, and she gave a good little snapshot at the beginning of that message of just sort of where we've been. I think there was maybe a few little holes uh, we could pick out from her quick report or quick history. Uh, but she was giving a brief history anyway, yeah, so I don't like want to critique her to too much there. <laughs> I, I thought it was generally helpful because me being someone who's, again, new newer to the denomination, it was helpful getting a little bit of a snapshot of the past. So she mentions a few things, uh, and one of those things is from 1970. Uh, she mentions that Canada, we have to remember, again, the CRC is a binational denomination. We are, we are U- U.S. and Canada. So she mentions that Canada decriminalized homosexuality in 1970. And so that same year at Synod, uh, a study committee was appointed and was asked to articulate the church's position on same-sex attraction. So as with any of these sort of study committees, it's a three-year process. They come, So they came back in 1973, and the report was given, and the report that was agreed upon by everyone at Synod that year in 1973 was to say that same-sex attraction is not sinful, but that same-sex sexual intimacy is sinful. And so it calls for the church to care well for the same-sex attracted members within the CRC. Um, she mentions that this is pretty uh, ahead of its time. There were several other denominations that were right about this same period in the early 70s beginning to think this through. Uh, but the CRC takes a, what we would say, I think is a relatively nuanced position uh, to say that same-sex attraction is not sinful in itself. Uh, but the action upon it is now this is of course still a controversial position the pca just recently the presbyterian church in america just recently asked this question and actually came down and saying same-sex attraction as an orientation is a sinful orientation that itself needs to be repented of the crc uh, has not said that and the 1973 report is the reason yeah, it goes back to that. So that report is still sort of the standard, the gold standard of our thinking on this issue. And so since 1973, there have been, she points out, four later study committees that all agreed with the 1973 position, but called the church again and again to care well for same-sex attracted members. Uh, and at times it even calls for repentance for the fact that we haven't done it well. So there was a recognition that we've not cared well for same-sex attracted uh, members within our church communities. Um, Then she mentions and she recognizes that in Canada uh, in 2005 and then in the U.S. in 2015, same-sex marriage becomes legalized. And so this brings the the question even further afield uh, for both of these churches. And so Mm in 2013, a I think it was 2013 that Synod uh, requested a study committee to talk about how we can pastorally uh, work through these issues. How can yeah. we can address how can we the care issue? care for people? Yeah. So given what the 1973 report has said is our theological position, how can we care for same-sex attracted people? Yeah. Yeah. So this report, uh, I'll let you tell a little bit of the background on it. You'll know it better than I do. Yeah, this is just as I was starting out as a pastor in the CRC. So I began in uh, 2000. 11. Uh, sounds strange to say that. Uh, it sounds like such a long time ago now. But uh, um, so um, just a, I was a new pastor and uh, this was kind of the big, big, first big thing that happened in the CRC uh, on this front during my ministry. And so it was requested that we we learn more about how to care for same-sex attracted individuals. And uh, the report that was produced um, was very controversial it was actually rejected by Synod, which, which is pretty abnormal. It, it right? does not happen very often yeah. that, a, that a report is rejected in that way. Um, there was a minority report that was accepted in its place, um, hmm. and uh, the minority report um, really called into question um, some of the work that the majority report provided. And um, if, if I were to summarize the issue, it would be that... Um, the 
so again, the purpose of the report is to offer advice on how to care for same-sex attracted individuals. Um, the report itself had really nothing to say regarding uh, calling people to repentance, to holiness, hmm. um, to uh, to live in in the way that God prescribes in His Word. Um, using various scripture texts to inform the same-sex attracted individual about how God would uh, would call them to live, um, and uh, had almost zero biblical um, references in the whole report. I think it was about eighty pages, and um, the uh, the minority report had a lot of questions kind of related to that. So it was rejected, and and the reason that we we talk about that report is that the current Human Sexuality Report is is in some ways a response to that not going very well. Um, now, yeah. it, it's it's very likely that we would be producing this report even if we had never had that one in 2016. Oh that yeah, wasn't this approved. conversation was going to happen one way or another. But but definitely the the way that that other conversation went has influenced how this committee in particular was formed. Uh, for example, hmm. uh, many people who are uh, against the Human Sexuality Report, uh, they bristle at the idea that to be on the study committee for the current Human Sexuality Report, you had to agree to the Christian Reformed Church's beliefs and teachings on um, sexual human on human sexuality, particularly the 1973 report. And so people say, well, how dare they require them to believe in those doctrines? Well, that's in response in a large way to the previous report where there were some on the study committee who produced a report, um, to be honest, that was very discouraging and ended up being um, a lot of wasted time. Not not completely wasted time, but um, mm. uh, just a report that was rejected yeah. because it was um, being produced by some people who now, who now very openly are against the 73 position. Um, mm. And so... Given that we we wanted to be uh, be moving forward in our theology, I would say, and in our application of our theology, that was a requirement. Now there is also a, I think it's called a promoter fide, um, the, somebody yeah, who is essentially devil's a devil's advocate on that committee as well. Um, and the report didn't specify in its in its instruction that it had to come to the same conclusion as the seventy three position, but. Um, that is where they came. That is where they fell down, um, yeah. or, or where they arrived at. I would say so. Um, this does not happen in a vacuum. I guess is my little summary of that. Right. That description is there. There had been another report that was um, that left much to be desired, and now this report follows after and right. is is definitely a more theologically traditional report. Yeah. So Synod twenty sixteen shoots down it rejects the 2013 report yeah which was you could say by the standards of the 1973 position kind of flimsy yeah it wasn't against it per se right but it was definitely not a confirmation that that this is sinful activity we're talking about and so the call to repentance must be involved yeah. in uh, among those who are active in a homosexual lifestyle. Right. So yeah. 2016, Synod rejects that and then says, let's start a new report. And, that, and that's why it's called, let's lay a foundation, right? So right. It's, it's not called that. It's called uh, the, task, the task force or committee to yeah. lay a found, or for a foundation laying theology of biblical theology (laughs) Uh, it's a very it's a big mouthful (laughs) and so that committee whatever the long title is i don't have it written down here in front of me (laughs) and i've not memorized it uh that committee comes back with the report which is laying a it's a foundation laying biblical theology of sexuality uh and so and it's very we just call it the hsr because (laughs) we're lazy i suppose yeah yeah. Uh, but but it's good to know that that, that that's how it went down so it doesn't just sound like this was strong-armed uh by the crc to to do it this way like it it wasn't like there was like a secretive group that said hey let's only put people on this committee who agree with the 1973 Mm -hmm. there's actually a reason that that was done uh and so to and they were open about it too um so yeah i don't the wisdom of that can be debated and people who were on the committee some of them were themselves lgbtq some of them had children or grandchildren this is what i've heard yeah who were 
who were a part of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't like this was just, let's just put all the most the conservative, most, yeah. angry people on this <laughs> committee and let them go for it. Uh, there was actually some some really good wisdom, I think, in, in how it was done. Mm. And so that is sort of the the story leading up to the present day. That, yeah. Um, and so how we approach this whole thing, there's a lot of, uh, like I said earlier, anxiety or, or fear that's sort of lurking in the background. And so one of the interesting prayers, as we've been doing these uh, synodical meetings, pre-meetings for prayer over Zoom, you you hear a lot of prayers where people admit their anxiety. I mm-hmm. think a lot of us feel that, myself included. There's a little bit of a of a worry knowing that we're kind of going in it feels like like a war zone where we know people are going to be vehemently disagreeing with one another Uh, so we're praying for peace we're praying for unity which there's a lot to be said about that Uh, i think we need to reflect on what unity means Mm -hmm. Uh, but the all of that i'm just saying goes to show that people are approaching this in different ways and it's very so how does our history do you think affect how we are approaching this conversation uh, given what we've looked at already yeah um one thing that is very uh influential in the history of the christian reformed church is uh is that we do have a history of legalistic um law focused uh pietism i would say yeah, and, we both heard so, some stories. <laughs> yeah, um, when I when I visit with older members of of my current church and of my previous church, uh, they would tell the stories, particularly of what is called Sabbatarianism. This is strict Sabbath observance, with just to be totally honest, totally Pharisaical, ridiculous restrictions that were placed on. Christian Reformed people mm-hmm. in uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, probably starting to fade in the 80s and, and 90s. And presumably before that, too. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, it, it, that as well. But, um, uh, for example, uh, I've, I've talked with an elder in our church who could swim on Sunday but not let his head go underwater. Yeah, I've heard that same story. Um, and uh, the whole reason was you don't want your neighbors to know that you were swimming on Sunday. Yeah, and if you came back to the evening service or the afternoon service and your hair was wet, Something's up. Yeah. Then you've been recreating, <laughs> right? Um, so no, uh, my my parents were uh, youth group leaders in the uh, the seventies, and um, they 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 went and played a, a game of wiffle ball and mm. were reprimanded by an elder in the church for uh, allowing such recreation on the Lord's Day. I think wow. it was at after an evening service. It was a youth group wiffle ball game. So that is in the history of the CRC, and it, it's particularly. Um, I don't want to generalize too much, I guess, but among the older pastors, uh, baby boomers and and older, I hear a lot of fear that we could go back to that in some ways hmm. if if we ha- if we draw up very clear lines on sexual behavior. Yeah, on morality. Yeah, it can and, sound and, like legalism is right out the door. Right, because they experience that in the Christian Reformed Church, this heavy-handedness. Yeah. And um, they don't want to go back to that for good reason. I wouldn't want to go back to that either. It's yeah. it is a legalism. It, it's it's actually it's sad. It's actually very sad that that was so prevalent in the Christian Reformed Church. And this is why it was good for us to go. I think into the mainline evangelical confessional mm-hmm. groupings because it's the confessional group who wants to recover a theological past. Other right. groups are f- fearful of <laughs> that could be you're bringing us way. back to that yep. legalistic past that yep. we don't want, oh, that absolutely. none of us want. Yeah, and so and there's some validity to that. We have to recognize that um, I, I, as one of the, I, I guess I fall more into the confessional group. Uh, I, I have to admit that yeah, the confessional group can that can be our tendency as legalistic, but it need not necessarily be. Yeah. Would we say that the reformers were legalists? Uh, I hope not. Uh, maybe they would be more legalistic than we were. We are today, but they were men of grace. They they, yeah. they recovered in many ways the, the great doctrines of grace, and so I think they helped us see what gracious living is. And so, yeah, part we, of what we're we getting recognize at all of that. I think too is uh, we see we hear that fear, and that is very clearly expressed in some of the pushback we've heard about 
the HSR. And um, as advocates of, you know, the Human Sexuality Report, I, I, I suppose I just would want people who don't like the report to say, we hear that fear and we don't want to go there either. Mm-hmm. Like, we, um, is this going to turn into micromanaging every person's sexual lives? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I hope not. I mean, it, yeah. within the, the bounds of what Scripture says is is pure and what is evil, then, yeah, yeah. to that extent, I, I think that uh, it would be good if we can refine one another and keep one another accountable. But um, is it going to turn back into that sort of Sabbatarianism only mm-hmm. with uh, in the, the realm of sexual ethics? I hope not. Yeah. Um, that, But that is the fear, definitely, because of people's past experience. Um, another, uh, this is kind of the opposite end of, of the spectrum. Uh, I, I think that that there is in the Christian Reformed Church history a a real looseness uh, towards uh, the doctrine actually of ministers after they pass their their ordination exam, hmm. um, and so there can be a lot of focus on piety and on behavior, and maybe very little focus on examining a minister's theology. Is it continuing to be in line with the confessions? Um, uh, of course, with the Bible itself as well. Um, I think that we have a history in the Christian Reformed Church as being pretty loose on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ministers can operate with different kinds of ideas. On um, I, I know of one church, I think I've mentioned on the podcast, that this congregation, which calls itself Christian Reformed, does not hold to two of the five points of Calvinism. I learned that at a classist meeting once, and I thought... Mm-hmm well, you wouldn't be approved then for your ordination, so h- how does that work? And, and yeah. uh, the way that it works is, over time, people change their views, and uh, there really isn't much of an apparatus in the Christian Reformed Church to hold people accountable if their local council does not file some sort of complaint with classes or hmm. some kind of oversight committee. And so, anyways, the, the reason that I bring that up is this. Um, there are many Christian Reformed Church ministers who, who don't really hold to all of the, the doctrines that are in our confessions. And yeah, yeah I'm pretty honest about that. When, particularly in closed doors, when pastors start talking shop, um, yeah, they don't, maybe don't really want to talk about hell ever. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, ministers who, who could go 20 or, or 30 years without talking about hell from a, in a sermon or use the word election, which is one of yeah. our bedrock doctrines. Or um, conversion. Right. Like that. Um, and uh, might be leaning in in a different direction, and so they, they sort of operate um, with with loose boundaries, I would mm-hmm. say, in confessional terms. And now, the um, the the chickens are being called home to roost in a way on, on one matter here. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And, and so, many of those, I would guess, ministers who who were sort of allowed to to drift on on maybe some mm-hmm. other things are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is this coming from? I could sort of do my different thing yeah. up here and write my banner article that was actually not Calvinistic, or um, yeah. you know, and and now all of a sudden we're going to draw a hard and fast line here. Well, they they've sort of been operating in a different kind of way for so long that it's it can be a shock, like jumping into cold yeah. water. Yeah, I think one of the issues with all of that is that the the further in time we've gotten since various positions have been taken in church history, the less the church cares today. So the mm. issues of Calvinism, like predestination, mm. those were all hammered out. I mean, not, <laughs> not perfectly. Not, not, not like, not, it's not that we couldn't say anything else, but yeah. those were all hammered out centuries ago. 17th century. And yeah. so now it's the 21st century. And so it's okay to have a little bit, this is how people think it's okay to have a little bit of a disagreement and not really, hold to that particular doctrine or uh, it's not really it's okay to not really hold to the certain reformed ecclesiology that we have and so mm-hmm. i can kind of get by with with my staff led ministry yeah my of, yeah, sort of right. heterodox different way of doing it yeah, yeah um and so but but this whole thing now now that we're actually as a denomination looking to just de- to determine the uh orthodoxy of same-sex marriage or 
or the we could say the unorthodoxy of same-sex marriage yeah now that it's more recent this feels like it's a lot more grave uh, it makes me wonder how come we haven't been taking all of our doctrinal heritage as seriously how come we've we've allowed as a denomination for ministers and for churches elders deacons mm-hmm. people who have made oh taken oaths to uphold the doctrine of our church we should all of it should feel very important, not just this issue of, of yeah. homosexuality. Uh, all of it should. And so we should really be be thinking through, do we really agree with what we're teaching mm. and what our church uh, claims to, to believe? Um, yeah, so we're not suggesting that we go on witch hunts and make everyone... Um, sign what well, we do sign on the dotted line <laughs> when you when you yeah. um, join uh, go to your first classes meeting you sign the covenant for office bearers which says you believe in the three forms of unity and mm-hmm. um, it, which essentially a reformed expression of the teachings of scripture and um, there, there are ways of of getting out of that filing a gravamen um, I, mean, I don't know if that's exactly how you say it, Gravamen. Gravamen, um, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah um, Gravamina. I've yeah, heard that too. But um, th- that's almost a bit imaginary to me. Like, especially if it's on a, a core issue, like something like election or infant yeah. baptism. Um, yeah. Uh, so somebody coming in, for example, I don't really believe in infant baptism, but I want to be a Christian. Reform- well, th- that's a that really is a core matter to the way that we understand the grace of God working yeah. itself out in the sacraments. And you're talking about being a pastor, particularly. Well, right? pastor, elder, yeah, a council. Yeah. Or, or, um, Members so, we would allow, but... Right, but, but even there, we would always want to be encouraging and coaching them in a in a reformed direction. Well, yeah, and it's it, just being honest and consistent. I right, think. and yeah. so um, I guess the point here is we have... There's been a lot of, of room for space... And maybe in various arenas, that's pretty good. And particularly in academic arenas, it's good to discuss things. Mm-hmm. Um, but just allowing for all that space over time can now be a, a when, when a dividing line is approached and we may not cross it, some, a lot of people are surprised by that, mm-hmm. I guess, if they've been operating in a, in a different way in terms of um, their commitments yeah. to reform doctrines. So... Yeah, um, it seems inconsistent. Yeah, um, and but also uh, maybe the last little little um, influence of history to this conversation is mm-hmm. that conservative um, people are definitely ramping up the energy, the um, the intentionality for this yeah. conversation um, because there is certainly a perception uh, we don't want to lose this quote unquote battle. Um, like we lost the women in office. And so we're going mm-hmm. to put lots of effort in. Um, it, it was. It still remains that, uh, that some people regard that as kind of a, a loss, you might say. Yeah. And um, certainly uh, we did lose many members over that, mm-hmm. um, that issue in the 1990s. And so it, it can, that can really create a lot of angst, I would say, Anx- anxiety uh, that, yeah. That could be like we don't want to lose again, and and that is definitely there among the more conservative. So this people. contributes to a sense of sort of lobbying, almost. Yeah, yeah. Really pushing to make sure that this goes in a favorable favorable way, and I I think that there this is this is okay to do depending on how we go about it and our, our motivations yeah. for it. Uh, it's good to want the truth to prevail whatever side you're on whatever you think the truth is and if it's good for you to work and do all in your power to make sure that the best outcome is achieved uh humanly speaking uh, we have to recognize that god is really in control yeah. of all of this uh, but humanly speaking yeah it's it's good to to work hard and to seek for the best outcome and be intentional about how we engage this particular synod because it's, it is going to be interesting that's why I was really up for it. I, I wanted to do it because I knew that this was going to be an important synod and I wanted to be a voice for the, you could say, orthodox side of things. Uh, and I wanted to to help in any way that I could. And so... Well, yeah, you, you really see that in our nomination process as a classist. Normally, um, yeah. delegates to synod 
at classes it's like is, pulling teeth i would imagine oh it's like who wants who, who wants to go who, who can who we convince to, to go in, in in michigan in yeah. the middle of the summer <laughs> well and it normally it's um who is available to go um yeah mary holston her video even says it's usually retired people and yeah. teachers <laughs> right exactly yeah and pastors and, and pastors so, um and so this is was totally different at our classes i want to say there were three or four pastoral candidates hmm. there were I, th- I want to say like six elder candidates that we wow. had put up and um only two deacons um, often deacons are the hardest to get um editorial comment i don't think they should be going to synod in general but maybe we'll <laughs> leave that in, uh, aside um, based on the biblical description of what a diaconal role is anyways uh, we won't go into that now hmm. but um but it was totally different it this was like a sought after role and i would guess that would be the case in just about every classes yeah so um uh, totally <laughs> looking at the be. uh the synod delegate list uh, maybe i should take that back because i noted some some did not have even alternates listed and mm. so um maybe maybe this isn't always as hot button as an issue as we perceive it it is but um it definitely in our classes there was a yeah a lot of attention put to it and a lot of intentionality um which isn't necessarily a bad thing um i do think when it crosses over into a boundary of of lobbying and almost trying to figure out represent representatives who will go and vote the right way mm-hmm. um that is what gets to the deliberative body um and so we yeah, already yeah. recorded a, a podcast last week on synod as a deliberative body that's as opposed to it being a representative body where you have to go and vote in a certain way you're going yeah. as a delegate um who represents in some ways classes central california but you are going to deliberate and yeah. so i guess maybe we just want to be clear after recording that episode last yeah week. it's an interesting tension yeah, right I, yeah. I, I do feel that uh, i'm not going to just with all my preconceived notions and nothing's going to affect the way i think but i am going with strong uh convictions, convictions. yeah sure uh that's i think something that we can all be honest about and should be honest about yeah so we've gotten to the end of <laughs> episode number two on on synod 2022 uh, hopefully this was really encouraging for you especially if you're in the crc but if you're not a member of the christian reformed church maybe it's even applicable to you and your own neck of the woods uh, so we thank you for listening and mm-hmm. for giving us your time this week and we will look forward to being again with you next week, which will be our final episode before Senate, before we have a week off, because I will be in Grand Rapids. So with that said, grace and peace, and we will see you next week. All right, bye. <laughs>